Aloha everyone, I'm your host, Christina Laney Mitri, and welcome to Smart Living Hawaii's podcast where we discuss smart homes and technology, sustainability, healthy lifestyles, and smart business. Today we'll continue our Sustainable Leaders series and have a talk story with Howard Wake, a seasoned energy analysis for an analysis for the Hawaii Energy Office. We will be talking about Hawaii's energy building codes and how this will affect the future of Hawaii and our sustainable initiatives. Here are a few topics that might spike your interest to keep listening. Um, let's see, how's, how Hawaii's energy building codes work, green building codes, money savers on these, differences between um, perhaps lead and current codes, airtight homes, 2020 national code changes, and more. So, aloha, Howard. Aloha. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk story with us. And um, before we begin, I always like to start with your quick bio. He did send over an extensive one, but I think it'd be best to just talk about all the things he's been doing through this podcast. So a real quick one here. After managing many federal energy-saving projects, Mr. Wiggs started many managing energy building codes and was soon attending national energy code conferences, testifying before county councils, meeting with builders, vendors, and union leaders, and forming alliances with governmental and nonprofit entities. With his expertise and accomplishments, Howard finds himself on numerous energy committees and councils and chairing many of them. He has been instrumental in creating codes that save energy and money for states and our counties. He also hosts a bi-weekly show for um, Think Tech Hawaii titled Code Green. Um, he is a president of the Illuminating Energy, Inter, I mean, Engineering Society Hawaii. He's the past president of Engineers and Architects of Hawaii and co-founder and 13-year veteran of the DBED for Business Department's mm -hmm. Toastmasters Club. So, all right, Howard, let's begin. Um, I always like to start off with your background, growing up, and what would you like to share with the listeners? I was born and raised in Honolulu before the age of television, thank goodness, <laughs> because us kids were out uh, bicycling, playing football, swimming, getting into mischief, all in the glorious outdoors, and I know that that was the foundation of my being feeling at one with the environment and being very distressed by what we are doing to the environment at the moment. And it also gave me a heck of a lot of sunshine, and my dermatologist is uh, reminding me of that every three months. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um... How did you end up getting into this industry that you find yourself in today for, what, over 30 years? Oh, well over 30 years. We, we won't be specific on dates here. <laughs> I, again, was an instinctual environmental type. And then I read Paul Ehrlich's The Population Bomb in the late 1960s. And that really changed the course of my life, along with the course of many other people's lives, and basically said that we are out reproducing ourselves such that we humans are swarming all over the planet, need to do something about it. So my first foray was into family planning worldwide, and then that developed into all kinds of other environmental uh, initiatives. Okay. 
And I know that you joined the Hawaii Energy Office shortly after mm-hmm. it was started. How did that come about? Okay, uh, as my contribution to the environment plus uh, making a living, I started with a partner an electric vehicle business in the 1970s. Talk about being ahead of your time. I was only about 30 years ahead of my time. We (laughs) went bust with a capital B. I was sitting at my desk wondering, what in the heck am I going to do to put uh, bread on the table? When the phone rang, and it was Al Harris, then head of the just-formed Hawaii Energy Office, Congress had passed a law in response to the Arab oil embargo of the early 70s, creating a Department of Energy and an energy office in each state. And Al Harris had met me before in my electric vehicle, vehicle capacity and said, would you like a job? <laughs> and it took me about two nanoseconds to say yes, when do I start? <laughs> and the rest is history. All right. Well, I guess since then, a lot has happened and we are moving into new territories and different types of energy. So it would be really great to get us caught up. But I think most of what we will be talking about today will be energy codes. Mm-hmm. So... I would like to begin, most people don't know very much about building codes, energy codes, a lot of the stuff in this sector. People Mm -hmm, may come mm -hmm. and gravitate to this podcast just for that, but I would say most of our listeners are green to green, so Mm -hmm. it's relatively new um, territory. So could we just start off with explaining where our codes have been Um, Mm -hmm. and how they've evolved and how it works, because it's not only a state or county thing, it's a national thing as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, positively. Maybe maybe you could start there, if you could give a a 101 on uh, these codes here, the energy codes, and how we've got to 2015. Sure, a little bit broader background starts in 1883, in what is now uh, the Greenwich Village area of New York City, there was a textile factory called the Triangle Shirt Factory, and it caught fire, and there was no way for the women, there were hundreds and hundreds of women spinning looms or whatever they do, in that building, and hundreds of women perished in horrible deaths. That was the genesis of building codes. That was a fire code in particular. And then that gave way over the years to the electrical code, plumbing code, the seismic code, making sure the buildings don't uh, fall down during earthquakes and so forth. And then, as I just explained, the energy code evolved from the uh, Arab oil embargo. The codes generally were stimulated by disasters of one sort or another. Okay. And from, I guess, could you explain how the process works? Because you just came back Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from, maybe you could explain that. Sure. There is an entity called the ICC, the International Codes Council, headquartered in Washington, D.C., and its sole function is to write and publish building codes. So they publish across the board, and they make their living by selling the manuals. Each code has 
manuals and they publish them by the thousands and thousands. And that's how they uh, sustain themselves. And the energy, so they convened the IECC, International Energy Codes, International Energy Conservation Code, yes, there you go. 2021 in Las Vegas uh, just a few weeks ago. And uh, hundreds of us convened in, at the meeting hall and the way this is the, across the nation, or is uh, it? A, yeah. it's just it's just national. It, it's just, just national. Yeah, we didn't have any international people, although, well, I can get into that uh, <laughs> later. So, what the ICC renews building codes every three years. Why do codes need to be renewed? Because technology is galloping ahead at a at rocket speed, and the idea is if we keep up with this technology that keeps getting better and better and better, we will build better and better building codes. And that is certainly true for the energy code because innovations keep happening, 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 both at the building envelope level and on the interior, the heating, ventilating, air conditioning. So the purpose of this code or this meeting was to look at proposed measures to go into the next iteration of the Energy Code, which will be published in 2021, and vote either up or down on each proposal. For instance, should we increase the wall insulation from R18 to R21? Some people say yes, some people say no. And we considered, I believe it's close to four, hundred different proposals. <laughs> and this is nationwide. This is nationwide. There are people from all over the nation uh, at this meeting. And the pro-people argue, the anti-people argue, and at the end it's there's a, a vote and that proposal either goes up or goes down. And you do that for like 400 different things. Yeah. So we were doing uh, 12-hour days, uh, eight days straight. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And you just got back from that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so could you explain then from that process what, how it trickles down to how it reflects to us? Absolutely. Positively. Uh, again, every state is represented. So the people like myself take these codes back to their respective states. In the case of Hawaii, we have the Hawaii Building Code Council, and that was established by legislature in 2007 because Hawaii is a home rule state, meaning that every county pretty well goes its own way with its own laws. And you can see how that evolved because we didn't always have uh, airplanes flitting back and forth, so communication was uh, difficult. So the result with energy codes is that they were all over the map. Some codes were way progressive, some codes were way regressive. For instance, when we first convened the Building Code Council, we found that one county, which shall remain unnamed, had an electrical code dating back to 1982. <sighs> Primitive and dangerous. That was a wake-up call. So the purpose of the council is, among other things, to convene all four county building managers 
And any proposal that we put forth, we being the larger council, must be approved unanimously by all four county building managers. And that is intended to bring uniformity statewide and, and keep, the, keep people from being really regressive or, or just not taking any action. Okay. And we are at, where we're at now is, I guess, before things have changed to our 2015 coding. Mm-hmm. Like that's, could yeah. you explain how far back we have been? Before that, oh, let's see. We're now, the statewide, we're at the 2015 IECC. Again, that's the International Energy Conservation Code. And before that, we were at 2006. Why? Because the law establishing the council did not mandate a three-year update on the part of the counties. And this may surprise the heck out of you, unless government is sort of goosed to do something, it doesn't do anything. So we were stuck with this ancient code. Finally, we revised the law saying every three years, all codes shall be updated including the energy code. So we finally got the 2015 uh, in place. And very shortly, now that that's done, we will be uh, working on the 2018. But not before we get the 2015 adopted by Honolulu and by the uh, county of of Hawaii. Okay, so it hasn't been adopted yet? It has been adopted. Oh, there's... If the law says if you, the county, don't adopt your own code with your own amendments, the state code shall be adopted by default. Okay. So uh, Kauai and Maui passed their own codes before the deadline, which was April 1st of this year, and Honolulu and the Big Island were it was adopted by uh, default. Okay. And they're, they're both working very hard to, to get their own codes in place. Okay, so moving forward, we are in 2019 going to 2020, and mm-hmm. we just adopted 2015 codes. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, believe it or not, that's catching up. That's catching up. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, with that in mind, I mm-hmm. guess I wanted to move into um, now that we kind of understand how it works and it comes from nationally, then to the state, then to the counties, mm-hmm. um, and then that we are having to implement some. Um, new processes in order for it to just happen, right? Just to go into place. Mm-hmm. So, um, why is it that the um, if you could explain a little bit more why are how different it is from the codes in the federal side to Hawaii? Like how it how much mm-hmm. you guys have to work on changing that? Absolutely. And how and maybe a little bit on the um, the tropical climate zone. Ooh. Yeah, you're, that you were. You're warming the cockles of my heart here. <laughs> yeah, the uh, law, the federal law says that the federal codes, be they plumbing, electrical, whatever, are when they're promulgated or are adopted on the national level, then it goes to the states and the states are free to amend. Mm-hmm. So a lot of states do amendment. No, no, no state so much as Hawaii because we have a different climate. Mm-hmm. That's For right. one thing, on the mainland, even in Florida or southern Texas, there's a lot of emphasis placed on space heating. 
because it does get cold in the middle yeah. of the winter, even in, in those areas. So that's a big portion of their energy code. We just dismiss it. We have no concerns whatsoever about uh, space heating. If people live at higher elevations, say on Maui or the Big Island, uh, my attitude as chair of the Building Code Council is to let them figure out how to heat their own homes because they are less than 1% of the state population. So the emphasis for us is keeping the solar radiation, the sun's heat, out of homes and out of buildings in the first place. It's just like our human skin. It's the first layer of protection. And you can do that in innovative ways and less expensive ways. And that's my job, is to look at those innovative ways of keeping the sun's heat out, first and foremost. Okay. So I think that's where I'd want to go next, because cost is always a factor. Mm -hmm. Um everybody building, everything coming down the pike here in Hawaii, it's always, this is going to cost more. This costs mm-hmm. more to build. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. we can't put this product out because it's going to, we just upped our budget. So um, I think the fear that everybody has is every time we keep coming up with new codes, it's going to, it's just dollar signs out mm-hmm. the door. <laughs> so maybe you can dispel some of these um these things that might actually mm-hmm. say, hey, this might be beneficial to you. So maybe we could tackle mm-hmm. a couple mm-hmm. of those things for the people that are weary that we are now having to pay double the amount because of these codes. Mm-hmm. So maybe uh, so just throw have, some of them out at, okay. at us. Okay, so the code is divided between commercial buildings and residential buildings. And commercial buildings include any buildings that are four stories and above. So if you build an apartment building more than four stories, That is considered a commercial building. And generally, the energy codes relating to commercial buildings pass pretty easily. The rubber meets the road, or I should say the resistance meets the road with the residential buildings. So let me give two examples of where Hawaii's amendments to the national code actually save money. Number one, floor insulation. (laughs) The uh, National Code requires something called R13. R stands for resistance, and 13 is a number that measures the uh, thermal differential. And I asked the question, do Hawaii's homes really need insulation under there? Well, we already have insulation in two forms, rugs and fuzzy slippers. I happen to be a very, very early morning person, so I'm padding around at uh, 5, 6 in the morning, the coldest time. And yes, in the winter, the floor gets very cold. Number one, I have rugs. Number two, I have fuzzy slippers. I'm happy as a clam. The result is that we save for a typical home around $4,000 because it costs about $2 a square foot to install this R13 insulation, 2,000 square feet times $2, $4,000 saved right off the bat. Probably helps if it's already cold, not warm, Mm -hmm. then it probably helps keep it from warming up throughout the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, yeah, in Hawaii by 9, 10 in the morning, you can uh, walk on the bare floors and 
walk with bare feet perfectly comfortably. <laughs> Not exactly a hardship there. A more significant cost savings is the fact that we have created a whole new climate zone, and it's right there in the National Manual, a tropical climate zone intended for Hawaii and the territories of uh, America, uh, Samoa, Guam, uh, Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico. And that code says you have the option of not air conditioning your home or air conditioning up to 50% of the square feet. For instance, if you have a two-story home, the bottom floor, the living room, kitchen, so forth, might be non-conditioned and just cooled, say, with ceiling fans. And then the bedrooms are upstairs, and there might be a small split unit, the new uh, version of a very small air conditioner. And one, there might be one of those for each bedroom, so that if the occupant chooses, he or she can turn on the AC when they're ready to go to bed and turn it off when, when they leave in the morning. So that's the tropical code, and mostly, though, it's going to be totally non-air conditioned. The fact that you're not putting air conditioning in, plus all the ducting and all the electrical work, saves thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars per, per home right, right there. Now, the tropical code is not suitable for all areas of all islands, most of our building is done on the Eva Plains, which is the hottest, driest area of the island, and the lot sizes are really small, such that if you had your windows open and your neighbor had his windows open and there was a baby crying or a couple arguing or a loud TV, you would be able to hear all of that. So central air conditioning is necessary not just for the cooling effects, but for uh, pri privacy also. So that's, you, that's kind of a mainland code, but you do have this tropical uh, option, and there, there's under, other energy-saving features to, to the tropical uh, code. Yeah. Could we dive into a few of those as well? More, I guess, more residential green building type mm -hmm. of um, things that you guys work with or think about when you're dealing with the codes. Okay. Uh, you're talking... I think when you say green building and again residences, you're probably talking about uh, what's called passive design, where you design your home very, very carefully to take advantage of Hawaii's uh, climate. Yes. So in this case, number one, and some of this is, is in the code, some other would be voluntary. Number one is you have a reflective roof where if you look at the roofs of a lot of residences, you see that their asphalt shingles, very rough texture, and they're very dark. Guess what happens then? The sun's radiation sinks into that rough, dark texture, penetrates through the roof deck, penetrates into the attic, and penetrates into the living space through, through the attic. The attic can, under those circumstances, can easily get up to 140 degrees. I know. And there's a lot of heat transfer from that headache into the uh, living space. So a cool roof, meaning a highly reflective roof, ideally white, reflects up to 90% of the solar radiation. And that dark rough roof that I was talking about uh, reflects only about 5%. 
So if you took a dark rough roof and coated it with this highly reflective coating, the best measurement I've seen is the before the dark roof was 178 degrees. You coated it white, it went down to 105 degrees. A, a delta T, a temperature difference of 73 degrees right there. That's huge. That is huge. And while I'm at it, uh, we also in the tropical code reward cool walls, i.e. highly reflective walls. And that has proved so effective that there is a national organization called the Cool Roof Rating Council. They have agreed to expand to include the Cool Wall Rating Council. And that was all uh, begun with, with Hawaii putting cool walls. So could you explain the, cool walls? Okay. The sun's heat, say, especially in the morning sun and the afternoon sun when the sun is pretty low, it's striking the walls directly. And if it's a dark colored wall, that heat is going to get absorbed and go into the living space. If the wall is reflective, most of that sun's heat will reflect back to the atmosphere. Uh, again, it's like uh, our skin. It's, a, it's our protection, protective element. So is there a ter certain type of paint, or is it just purely the color? It's, right now, it's purely the color because I've been trying to persuade the paint companies to have not just what's called a visible light reflectance, which is what our human eyes see, but a solar reflectance, which takes into account not just the visible part of the spectrum, but the IR, the near-infrared, which delivers most of the heat from, from the sun. So if you, you can measure that. So I want them to have a uh, SIR, solar uh, infrared reflectance index on, on their paints. People have George, guns now, right? That hmm? kind of people have like little guns that like point at the house to see yeah, those, is those the are temperature. The the heat guns. Yeah. What it does is you point a laser at whatever surface you want, and it'll deliver the the temperature to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just reading somewhere that I think this is in California, which I'm going to a conference this coming week for, um, and meeting with a whole bunch of green builders, appraisers, and mm -hmm. uh, realtors. And they are saying that in California that there are actual people now <laughs> that are looking for properties and they come with like, a, you know, a heat gun mm -hmm. and they're looking for a specific, you know, requirements for the home that they're going to buy. So it's pretty mm -hmm. interesting because they've been building this way much longer than we have. So mm -hmm. my goal is to see what they're doing there mm -hmm. and bring it back here. So I'll have a few podcasts um, with some of the guest speakers at the conference mm -hmm. and um, share them too on this end uh, to, to show where we're headed. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we're building now, then in the next 10 years, these homes will probably turn over and I think more people are gonna require, expect it, just like solar mm -hmm. is today. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so then we'll start to see, see the change. Yeah, yeah. This, this is why um, <laughs> one of our, our gap groups, two, two gap groups are realtors and appraisers, and we need to multiply you by about a thousand times, and then yeah. that, that problem will be uh, solved. Because the, the real, realtors and appraisers are the people who deal with the clients 
and who can emphasize the value, the property value of having uh, energy efficient homes and mm-hmm. including highly reflective. Yeah, so I'm doing a podcast with someone who's uh, been appraising homes and got into the green world almost maybe 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. She's one of the guest speakers, and she's been on uh, national keynote speakers elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to chatting with her. (laughs) Well, we we can reverse our roles, and you can again be a guest of mine on on Think Tech uh, Hawaii. Yeah, maybe I could take back... I'm no expert in any one thing, but I would say when it comes to sustainability, but I'm learning a lot about mm-hmm. all of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, let's see. We've kind of tackled different things. I know, let's see, how about the 2021 IECC hearings for the electric vehicle and photovoltaic mm-hmm. provisions? Mm-hmm. Okay, it was very, very interesting where the people in the room and everybody there is is a code geek. If if there were still pocket protectors, plastic pocket protectors, and lots of pens in the pocket, these guys would have pens and plastic protectors <laughs> all over the place. These are real geeky people, and they're divided into three groups: those who represent the building industry or certain components of it, like the insulation industry and so forth. And their big concern is hold the cost down, hold the cost down, and hold the cost down. Every time we propose something, we on the other side, that'll drive the cost up. How about we do this proposal? And what it does is weaken the code and we uh, drive the dollar value down uh, a little bit. So that's group one. Then there's group two, who are the energy efficiency geeks. And what they want to do is squeeze every BTU, every ounce of energy use, out of a building so that it is really, really, really efficient. And those traditionally have been uh, my allies. You know, we have dinner together and we joke together and we email together. But I found myself on the opposite side uh, on a lot of these traditional friends because there's a third group who I will call the, uh, the visionaries. And what we want to do is expand the energy code beyond the walls of a building onto the campus of a building. Say it's uh, an office complex with outdoor parking and outdoor uh, lighting. We want that outdoor lighting and any other energy using outdoor features May, may have big thing may have a data center, a whole separate data center building there. We want to expand the energy code to those components because there's a lot of potential energy savings there. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, so, so my traditional friends are saying, no, 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 no. The building code ends at the walls, and then possibly even more important is renewable energy. And we're saying put photovoltaics up on the roofs because that's the only way we're going to get to zero net energy and give them credit. And they say, no, 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 no. As soon as you do that, people will start building homes like uh, tobacco road shacks. Tobacco road is a reference to the poorest of the poorest of the poor Southerners in, in the Depression and their homes were literally falling apart. So they're, they're afraid of that. And then even more visionary is EV-ready provisions, where when you 
are in the dirt and you're running your electrical conduits and everything for a home, you run conduits into, say, a residential single family, run it into the garage <clears throat> and then have a, a little opening in the garage where you might put an electric vehicle charging station so that when the owner is ready, he just has to unscrew and stick it in and boom, he's ready to go. And much, how much, much, much cheaper. How much does that cost to just pre-do that? A residential as little as eight or nine hundred dollars to the cost of the whole, whole home because you're laying conduits all over the place anyway. Mm -hmm. And then you have to increase the size of your electrical panel a bit. Uh, a lot more amperage. That, yeah. that hardly costs anything. Okay, and then, well, what about buildings? Like when you have condos and you're doing units and mm -hmm. then there's parking. There's there's a group parking, yeah. What you do under our proposal is designate that X percent of those parking spaces. So you've got 50 parking spaces. You might designate five of those 50 shall be EV ready. And again, that's just ready. You just have the conduits and you have your little plug there. Say, and that would cost a shade over $1,000 per, per installation. I was looking at, um, well, what about to actually install something? Oh, actually install, uh, you mean the cost of the charger? Yeah, or, I guess yeah. to put it in and have it, like not mm -hmm. just ready to plug in, but because, so I have a client who bought in Ali'i for Howard Hughes, mm -hmm. and that just came up asking, did you want an EV plug they, for, they, your, they for your parking that. cell? Hmm. And they asked that, and I just thinking off the top of my head, I want to say another $12,000. So they just asked, do you want to have one installed? You could let us know by the state. It's, I think, another $12,000 or something like that. So I was just curious how much it actually cost because it'd be the actual system, right? Yeah. But I guess it would also have to somehow connect because you're using your own power, somehow tie that mm -hmm. in to your power. Mm -hmm. or, or have a <laughs> right? separate meter for it. Yeah, have a separate meter yeah. and do yeah. all yeah. of that. So I guess mm -hmm. when you deal with the whole, when you're dealing with a building, that building has 751 units. And you got whoever randomly wants to have an EV station. Is It was just interesting to hear because I know that you guys mm -hmm. were working on this. Another thing, too, because I'm working on a bigger scale of the different sectors. So I'm dealing with, you know, we've got energy, we've got environment, we've got agriculture, mm -hmm. we've got housing, and we've got mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. And since I'm kind of looking over above everybody and kind mm -hmm. of working with each sector, seeing their problems, um, I'm starting to see the overlap where one sector is working really hard here, mm -hmm. um, like you guys are doing to try to come up with energy codes and things that will be beneficial for the overall. And then, you know, you come up with these great ideas and then you've got, like you said, the developers or builders on this mm -hmm. other end mm -hmm. raising their hands going, this is going to cost too much, mm -hmm. you know? And so mm -hmm. I just had been at a conference that we um, put together for housing and the main focus is affordable housing mm -hmm. for this sector and you were there mm -hmm. but they were talking about um, how just adding that requirement to an affordable housing unit mm -hmm. would then increase the already four hundred thousand dollars it costs to build one unit mm -hmm. <laughs> which is already 
almost a hundred thousand dollars more than what they are allowed to sell it for. <laughs> so you start looking at which is you know I know why they want to lower costs. So having to find some kind of you know balance where mm-hmm. maybe there's exceptions for specific properties that aren't even going to have parking you know or certain yeah, things like that yeah, yeah. Um, to make it all work and we all get in one room not just the energy mm-hmm, people in mm-hmm. one room but in this case this would be the housing you know dealing with affordable housing people mm-hmm. in the room with you guys to then come up with a plan that would allow for them to still do and build affordable housing for Hawaii <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and make the numbers work, right? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's what matters. So it's just really interesting to see it from an outside perspective because mm-hmm. both sides, and I and applaud both sides, are working very hard to do good for Hawaii's future. Mm-hmm. And so if there's any way for me to find a way to bring people together to agree on the things they do agree and move forward that's really our mm-hmm. our goal well so. a couple of responses number one that twelve thousand dollar quote that sounds like a retrofit yeah i think to put where it they actually in. have to drill you know you have this concrete slab mm-hmm. that's in the parking area now you're going to have to drill down mm-hmm. into that slab lay your conduit and then mm-hmm. plaster that thing back up again. That is not cheap. And yep. then you have to go to your electric meter and add to it. Mm-hmm. If you do the electric uh, outlets pre-planned, it barely costs anything to, with, for your additional capacity. And in laying the conduit, you're dealing with dirt. You're just putting another conduit into the dirt. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where you bring down the cost by a factor of... Uh, easily five and i've seen a factor of eight like it costs 16 percent as much or in this case 12 percent well there's companies like revolution or whatnot Mm -hmm. they can actually do these installs no problem for residential as well Mm -hmm. um i'm not too sure how much they charge but we can look into that too and i can probably post it up if someone's interested but Mm -hmm. these are just things that i think Mm -hmm. that come up because like you said technology is continuing to grow um Mm -hmm at a high rate so we have to think about these things too. absolutely and, and in terms of different people getting together i personally and i, I know uh, my boss is totally amenable to sitting down with uh, people with opposing views this is something i advocate very very strongly um, one organization that very often uh, doesn't um, like my view so much is the uh BIA, Building Industry Hawaii, uh, Building Industry Association, and I have insisted, I'm friends, I I call her my friend, the CEO, I say, invite me to the board meetings. And you can have just a Howard section of the board meeting, and then I'll leave so you can talk about other things. But I want to be there hearing their objections firsthand, Mm -hmm. staring me in the face. Yeah, well, I think that's the best way for us to come together with a solution. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm working with FIOPSI, remember that? Sure, 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 yeah. Um, I would love to see that bigger, you know, Mm -hmm. and have everybody there talking about the issues or hurdles that they're facing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so we can um, accomplish a lot of these things where we're not, you know, coming to 
a dead end mm-hmm. every time. Precisely. You know? Exactly. Especially with all the legislation coming due, you know, mm-hmm. with bills coming up that get shot down and, and all the work and effort that gets put into it. If we can just um, maybe talk amongst each other to get these things mm-hmm. done ahead of time yeah. before. So, so, so we're not <laughs> fighting in front of a, a legislative committee. Yeah, exactly. Let me give you a perfect example of that. The last BIA board meeting I attended, I was lambasted up one side and down the other by a vendor for jealousy windows or louvered windows, which worked very, very well in Hawaii. And given the mainland code, they, they would be virtually impossible to install. And so we talked at the BIA meeting. Then he come, came here to the office, and we talked some more. And I really, really got to understand the dynamics of jealousy windows. And I said, okay, all of the restrictions that apply to natch to most glazing the uh, windows will not apply to jealousies in any way shape or form at very very little energy uh, cost it'll drive the energy use up just a weensy bit but it'll free up people to install jealousy windows meaning that even in centrally air-conditioned homes on a nice cool winter evening they can just say, we don't need AC. Let's just open up the jealousies and let the trade winds blow through. They're going to save a lot of money and we're going to save a lot of energy. So that, and um, the uh, I worked with the Honolulu, uh, what is it, the Resiliency Office. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, their latest proposal for the code says, in essence, jealousy windows can do anything they want. That's a, an example of just sitting down, sitting down with the industry, understanding them, and then lowering the cost. Yeah, well, I think that's the key to everything here. And I think we've pretty much came about time Mm -hmm. to put a closure to this. But this one was just on energy codes. Um, Mm -hmm. We will definitely have a little more diving deep into um, green building and things like that with uh, future podcasts and other other guest speakers Mm -hmm. but um i just wanted to say thank you so much for your time and for Mm -hmm. jumping in and giving us an update on some things um lastly i would i'm going to be putting some of the links here that i saw on your your website for the hawaii energy Mm -hmm. um office so there'll be ones specifically to like the q a's of um faq sorry of the uh IECC 2015. Mm-hmm. We'll also put some down for the energy code um, technical FAQs and then the residential checklist and the commercial checklist. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, there were two different mm-hmm. ones. So we'll have that up there if anybody wants to read a little bit further. But um, also, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast mm-hmm. at www.smartlivinghi.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at smart underscore living underscore Hawaii. And you can like us on Facebook. So mahalo. Until next mm-hmm. time, live smart. It's been a great pleasure and have a barrel of fun in California. Bring back a barrel of new ideas and we'll discuss that. Awesome. Thank you. Mahalo.